Welcome to FAA Safety Briefing Live, the March and April edition. I'm Paul Prydecker, and once again, I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Susan Parson. Hi, Susan. Hi. Good evening, Paul. Thank you for making the trip here to facilitate this. We're doing our very best to um, get a little bit of social <laughs> distancing here between us. We decided against the upstairs-downstairs thing that yeah. probably would have been a little awkward. So the feature issue is all about weather technology in the cockpit. And Susan, as always, we do a, a little review of how to earn wings credits and also AMT credit. How do they do that? Yeah, on the, the screen that you'll see there, you can uh, click on the buttons and you can link to previous podcasts. So if you haven't, uh, if you've missed one and you want to get wings credit for it, you can still listen um, and take the quiz and get credit. Uh, there's a link to the print print copy. So lots of ways to do it. And I do write the quizzes with the idea that we hope you read the magazine, but we try to make sure that we address all the issues in the quiz in this program. But the main thing is um, learn. And uh, that's that's what we're looking to do. So glad, by all means, take advantage of the WINGS credit. That's great. And so this magazine is um, going to be about weather, but in general, can you state, as you often do, the sure. mission of FAA Safety Briefing Magazine? Yeah, you see it right there on the screen. Uh, we we have we have a specific mission statement for every single one of our regular departments. Uh, we try to structure the feature articles around whatever our chosen theme is for the issue, um, and those are our main goals: to raise awareness of FAA resources, which your tax money pays for. Explain safety and regulatory issues because the FA can do that in a way that nobody else can. And the most important thing for us, because um, this is dear to both of us, is encourage continued training. A good pilot is always training and always learning. And we want to, so uh, we we hope that that this program and this publication will help you do that. I think every opportunity we have in the airplane or any chance that we're talking with our colleagues about flying is an opportunity for for learning. Mm -hmm. And I, I look at every flight and every um, mistake that I might make as a gift um, to, to learn and, and do better and to tell other people about as well. So, um, and the other thing that certainly happened with the magazine over the um, past several months is the change in design. Your, your, your team does a, a wonderful job on the design and the graphics. So it's it's yeah, a pleasure have, to read. We we have a lot of uh, we we have a lot of fun putting it together, and we also have a lot of fun with the designer. So let's move on to the cover. If you haven't seen it, um, mm -hmm. this is a this is quite a, a spiffy cover. We we aimed for a combination in this cover picture of uh, of an aircraft that has some of the older equipment that uh, is more typical. It's not your full glass cockpit. But you notice that there's a panel-mounted uh, GPS navigator and there's handheld gadgets. And the whole idea is that we, we have a lot of opportunities nowadays for different kinds of weather technology in the cockpit. But having it and knowing what to do with it and how to use it properly and appropriately uh, to keep yourself safe, that's what we're really focusing on in this issue. So you'll see a list of our feature articles there. So what are some of the features tonight? Well, we're going to talk about what is Wittick, um, and we'll define that when we get into it. Uh, Sabrina Woods, Dr. Sabrina Woods now, is one of our magazine alums. She moved on, but when she left us, we made her promise that she would continue to write for us, and she has kept that promise. So she's got Mind the Gap, which is a fun piece. Um, 
Although we're starting to get into spring, Wisconsin's still cold, so Operation Icicle is useful. And uh, we'll be talking about some of these other things. Uh, I'll, I'll also uh, give you a little hint about Straight from Steve. We had an interview a couple months ago with our new administrator, mm-hmm. and so we're introducing him in this issue. That's great. So let's go. Let's get on to the first article, which is the jump seat column by Rick Domingo. And um, how's the weather? I mean, it's a question that pervades our normal conversation, but but certainly it's a common conversation in in the pilot group. So there's some interesting points here um, about whether what we do with it, the technology, the information that we we get, but also the decisions that we make mm-hmm. about um, flying in weather and trying to interpret the information. So, well, with this this one starts out. Uh, Rick, my boss, his background is in airworthiness uh, rather than in uh, flying a, a, as a pilot. But uh, one of the things he starts out with is, yeah, okay, so uh, for pilots, even if you have an instrument rating, it's not safe to fly in all weather conditions. And that includes if you're flying a, a well-equipped airplane, because there are some conditions sure. you just absolutely can't go into. Well, oftentimes the weather is bigger than the airplane. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. But but he points out that uh, mechanics, particularly those who work um, you know, on icy, cold, windy ramps or boiling hot ones as Arizona summertimes can be. If that's, um, if you have to fix an airplane and you got to do it out in the open, weather is a, weather is an issue for all of us. And so we try to make sure that we cover the entire aviation community. And a, a sort of a new term on this topic has been introduced about UMC. Yeah, that was uh, unfriendly meteorological conditions. So an unfriendly condition, it it doesn't have to be instrument meteorological conditions. It could be something that affects, uh, say, density altitude, turbulence, crosswinds. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you told me you had a fairly interesting one the other day. Amarillo is a windy place, folks. Uh Yeah, (laughs) so. It was well, interesting. It, it was a, it, if it had been Oklahoma, the, I remember when I was flying there, understanding why that song about wind comes sweeping down the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that now. So uh, anyway, and that, a lot of and a lot of focus on this this particular issue in tonight's broadcast is about the technology we can use and also some of the some of the decision making we can use. So shall we continue on and talk about Wittick? Let's talk about Wittick. All right. So one of the things that the FA does, uh, we have a program called Weather Technology Information and Cockpit. Uh, so that's what WIDIC stands for. But it's it's kind of like any acronym, whether it's a government one or not. We always find a way to pronounce it um, and because uh, otherwise it gets a little bit too unwieldy. This is a program that is looking at um, the fact that, we yes, we have this technology, but how do we make sure that we are getting the most of it and using it as best we can? Uh, the one, one of the issues that, that this uh, group looks at, for example, and I, I thought this was quite interesting because it was something that I noticed uh, early on, different manufacturers use different symbology. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was looking at websites and some of the earlier versions of um, portable handheld weather data, that I had to remember sometimes that the color you see on one doesn't translate to what you see on the other. And it's always the issue of, do you standardize 
or do you allow room for innovation? And sure. I think we're trying to settle on that. But but this one of the things that this research program is looking to do is to figure out what is it that gets pilots' attention? What do people remember? What do they don't remember? Um, and how how can so as as you see in that first bullet point to ensure that weather displays convey vital information effectively in a way that you're going to notice and get it. Well, and it's this is all about this is all about managing information. Yep. Um, we we have a wealth of information that's available to us, but as gets developed later on in the program, we have to know how to interpret it and make sense out of the data. We do. Um, I think our society in many facets is uh, data-rich and information poor. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> and I think that this is an attempt to sort out what does a pilot need and how does he interpret it at the right time to make the right decisions. Uh, the other thing is this article on what is Wittick, um, and we're, we're going to talk about this more in some of the other articles, but uh, image latency, we won't spend a lot of time with that here, but uh, I did, this is a good place to introduce uh, something they call WILD, which is actually a creative acronym, the Weather Information Latency Demonstrator. They actually have a gadget and as you'll notice in the last bullet, some of the flight training device manufacturers are using that to try to um, help develop ways to better let pilots understand that what you see in front of you with a lot of the weather technology, weather information that we get, it's old information. It's sure. news that uh, you can use, but you have to know how to use it appropriately. Well, and, and certainly. It, it's easy to focus on some of the more obvious things like VMC into IMC, and that's certainly a goal of WILD, but there's certainly other scenarios. Continue flight into icing conditions mm -hmm. is another one. Uh, how to manage and mitigate turbulence. Uh, all of these things are impacting um, the, the aeronautical decision-making process. And as, as pilots, we, we can sit on the ground and make plans. And we can use information to plan our flight, but now we have to fly our flight. And oftentimes we're making decisions um, on the fly, so to speak, using the information. And we have to be able to know, is the information telling us exactly what we need to know? Or is it a little bit old as the, as the uh, latency issue discusses? Um, there's a bullet point in this article that... It, it's quite real. What you see out the window is real, and what you see on your display is often delayed. Yeah, I, I remember one time making a night flight, and I was I was able to see that because there was a we were trying to avoid uh, some precipitation. The convection had moved away, and what I saw on the weather data display and what I could see by just looking outside, it was dark, and you could see where the precipitation was by which of parts of the city lights were obscured. Sure. And that was a really, I, I, will, I, I still carry that picture in my mind as a reminder of, oh yeah, it's over there now. Well, and one of the, the other issues about understanding the latency of some of the display and some of the weather information, uh, the article goes on to say that, you know, the only real depiction of what's going on from a weather standpoint, particularly in T-storms, is onboard weather radar. Exactly. However, you have to know how to use that as well. Yes. And that's, I've, over the years, have determined that although there are some guidelines, there is a little bit of art mm -hmm. to understanding how to set up, use, and interpret 
you're on board with the radar as well. I think it's a fairly dark card. A dark card, yes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a dark, of, it's a dark and stormy night. It's a dark and stormy night, which takes us to the next article. Uh, we have a, a lovely picture of a dark and stormy <laughs> night. Uh, please do not go flying in when there's lightning bolts out there. <laughs> this is a what not to do kind of photo. It was a great picture, but um, let's put it this way. I don't want that to be me in my airplane. Well, and it's really about... Um, you know that I've I've written some articles and given some discussions on threat error management, yep. which is you we're presented with threats all the time. We have to make decisions about how to manage and mitigate them, and this is this is certainly one of them. Um, there's you know this philosophy of doing go no go decisions, yep. but once you're in the air, that go no go really continue divert. It really turns into kind of a start continue, and what is my option? B, C, or D, which I think we always have to have an out for. But a lot of this about making good decisions is really about mitigating risk. Exactly. Um, and this uh, this next uh, this is the good decisions about bad weather. Um, I was <clears throat> we we have fun with titles like that because I, I think it's descriptive, but it also is uh, is catchy. Uh, we we give you a little bit more information about WIDIC. Uh, it's one of the two weather research programs the FA has. And reprise of what it's looking to do, um, including narrow, uncovering gaps in pilot training, getting a, a good look at what pilots' understanding are, and uh, in addition to providing some information that can hopefully help manufacturers do something that is more standardized without stifling innovation or anything like that, is uh, online courses to help to help instructors teach and to help pilots plan and. Uh, yeah, lots of good stuff, and and also using that uh, wild demonstrator that we talked about before. And of course, another key part of this is um, we all learned a little bit about meteorology and how to read VTARs and TAFs and look at area forecast things when we did our private. And as we advance into our ratings, we have to advance our knowledge of weather and meteorology. If you tra- if you're transitioning into a aircraft that can now um, fly in the flight levels. Mm-hmm you'll have different weather events to manage. So part of, you know, transition training and learning a new aircraft, that also needs to be supplemented with the weather that you might encounter because of the capabilities or lack of capabilities of the aircraft. Yep. So uh, lots of good stuff. Although um, I hope that you will continue to fly GA because from what I understand, you're now zipping along in this little Lear well above. <laughs> well above a lot of the weather. Yeah. Zipping is zipping is right. Um, but we eventually have to, you know, what, what goes up has to come down. And you have to yeah. come back down through it. And <laughs> That's right. you do fly Bonanza around here. So, yes. All good. Okay. Shark Tank. Yeah, this I was, think I've seen the show a couple of times, but I don't think that's what this is about. Um, no, but uh, the the FA, as we put it here, took a bite out of the concept to promote and encourage some innovation. Um, this was fun. We had FA employees submit. Uh, we got more than 65 ideas. I'm not sure what the exact number was, but it was a lot. And then five finalists, just like they do on the TV show, mm-hmm. pitched their innovations to a group of um, of executives for... Um, to see who was gonna who was gonna get the go ahead, and the winter the the winner was somebody who came up with this idea of um, increasing the turbulence observations um, using data points and modeling and that sort of thing. And so these are things that are all being fed in, and uh, you, you see at the bottom of the uh, the last bullet point there some of the potential uses for this tool. 
And I don't know for a fact that we might be doing this again, but I hope we do because I think it it well, is some good stuff. And I mean that that's every pilot's dream, I think, is to have an idea about where oh, the, yeah. where, where the turbulence is and, yeah, and, and and how they can avoid how they can avoid it. Um, but reading about the graphical turbulence guidance. Yep. Um, and again, as we've said, it's all about getting the data and then having somebody know what to do with the data. Yeah. Then we, in our last issue, we talked about data and information and we'll talk about it some more in here. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Um, Susan, you, um, picked up an article and talked about crowdsourcing. I did. And related that to this very topic, so. Well, um, yeah, crowdsourcing seems like a funny word to use at a time when we're doing social distancing, crowds are bad, except that virtual crowds are fine. Um, I, I was I was trying to figure out, because we wanted to write about uh, uh, encouraging people to give pie reps. And um, at the time that I wrote this piece, I had just come out of the Christmas season and I was thinking, you know, how can I write about pyreps in sort of a different way? And it just dawned on me, crowdsourcing is what pyreps are really about. It's about people who are actually out there sharing information, just as, the, as when I was doing my online Christmas shopping, I was looking at the reviews to see what people said about things before I went ahead and bought it. Well, this is your opportunity to, to get a... I was there and never mind what the manufacturer said, never mind what the seller says, this is what it's really like out there. So I just, I kind of adapted the crowdsourcing concept to Pyreps. Um, there are a couple of, um, there are a couple of really important points that we wanted to make here. One is, um, if you look at that third bullet, in aviation as, as in shopping, it works when there's an actual crowd offering information. So I've tried to think about this as just your basic citizenship. If you use it, you should contribute to it. Well, my former instructor at the small airport west of Madison here, Field Maury, um, who I've talked about before, he uh, made a point of telling us in our instrument training that on every instrument flight, we should give a pie rep. It's, it, even if the, even if it's a, a negative pie rep or something that's relating good information, it well, doesn't always have to be relating turbulence or ice or temperatures or this. It can just be, it's a good pie rep. And that's one of the points that we make in this article, that uh, pie reps, if you're telling somebody that, hey, there's no danger here, even though they may have read in the forecast that there might be, that is absolutely valid information. Um, so the what what we also wanted to get across in this article is the fact that you have a lot of ways that you can make pirates. But I think sometimes I know this was true for me that as a um, relatively new pilot, the the formats seem to be awfully intimidating. And mm -hmm. please do not be intimidated by the format. The information is important. If you call somebody and say, hey, I've got a pirate for you, provide the information that you have and just use the basic who, what, when, where, and why format. It, it, on the other end of the system, they will, they will put it into the format that it needs to be in. But what you can contribute and what only you can contribute is this is what it was like for me. And the other thing I've, I've certainly learned in a lot of um, a lot of flying is that there may not be a pie rep mm -hmm. in the area that you're interested in when you want the information. 
But if you're talking to ATC, you can sometimes get information out of ATC. For example, do you have any top reports? Yep. Um, that can give a lot of relief to what you're about to do as, a, as an instrument pilot if you know that the tops are you know at 7,000 rather than something unreachable. So sometimes ATC, they have knowledge of this, but they're only going to have knowledge of it if you've passed that information along. And many of us have... Um, you know, been on flights where air traffic control might say to you, hey, we'd appreciate a top and base report because maybe you're the first airplane in that area. Maybe he just came right. on duty. He's looking for information. And this is just, again, this is another data point in our um, sort of repertoire of trying to find out information okay. about the weather. Um, and controllers are encouraged to ask pilots for, for PIREPs. Um, another th- point that we make here, um, when, when it's set, I want to I want to be clear about this. As with shopping and reviews, read pirates with a critical eye. That does mm-hmm. not mean to imply that pilots are going to try to sell you a bill of goods. Um, this is this is not like online shopping where you have to be careful about what you're reading. This is <clears throat> the idea that we as pilots, most of us are not professional meteorologists. And I think the way I wrote it in the article is that um, what I might think of as if I were a 787 pilot, what I might think of as light chop is probably going to feel really different if I'm in a Cessna 150. So be careful. Just just when I say critical eye, that is just use critical thinking. Know what the information is and put it in the right context. Well, and part of that data point that you have to give as a pirate is what kind of an aircraft are you? Exactly. And that way it helps your colleagues behind you interpret exactly interpret the meaning of that sometimes you can just give an abbreviated pirate but it's quite common that i may check on with a new center controller and just say my altitude and say smooth light chop occasional you know turbulence and just build that into my check on so that you know they've got the information there's a quick little piece of data yeah, so, it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah, I, I even I think I, I've got in the center column there. There was a piece that I put in capital bold letters. You know, information is more important than format. So yes. please do remember and and uh, if you use pyreps and most of us do, then contribute. Be good to your fellow pilots. Absolutely. Okay, this next article is fun for a variety of reasons. It um, is. Um, We've both traveled to the UK, um, and there's something special about being in London and using the uh, the tube or the underground. Um, and there's also something for those of you that have been to the UK. If you you know are on the curb and you're looking down at the street, there are signs that say you know look left or look right because we're going to probably look the opposite direction right. and set yourself up for an accident. But one of the things that you hear on the on the tube in the, the subways, uh, the, I think the last time um, we, the gap. we heard this was maybe from Heathrow to Paddington yeah. Station, mind the gap. And what's that about? Well, and uh, Sabrina, I, she actually got a lesson on uh, train technology, the history of train technology mm-hmm. in the first couple of paragraphs. The fact that, um, yeah, over the years, pieces of the London underground system were built in different ways. And so there are different 
um, distances between train cars and the platform and that you need to mind the gap is the way they say it. Mm -hmm. By the way, don't you have a British accent by now? Not yet. Uh, I'm I'm going to blend that in with my former Texas accent. Okay. Oh, yeah. Please don't. but yeah, Sabrina took, a, she used that mind the gap and she spent some time in the UK when she was in the active duty military. And she used that concept to uh, to talk about an issue that we've referred to in several articles, but this really dives into it. The fact that there is a gap between real weather that is displayed and what is, at, or between the real weather and what you see. And that's simply because, um, and the the article talks about what goes into processing. And uh, take a look at that second bullet there. The National Weather Service needs five to 15 minutes to create the mosaic because they're getting it from different sources. That's Mm -hmm. why they call it mosaic and render it as a graphic. And then it could take another five minutes for it to reach the cockpit. So remember that you could be looking at something that is 20 minutes or more old and Weather doesn't sit around and wait until it gets transmitted and say, yeah, here I am. No, it kind of moves. One of, the, one of the things that I have often been um, inspired at or awed at is when we're flying in and around the summer tea mm-hmm. storms, Convention. you can just watch them grow. Yep. Yep. Um, at, at any altitude, you can see gaps close. You can watch the convection occurring and you need to respect that and and give it some distance. And it might be tempting to say, well, I see a a, a 10 mile gap there. I'll just head for that. But that's, that's a trap and it's a, it's a threat. Well, that was actually another uh, of the lovely puns in this article, mind the gap. Um, And thank you for queuing that one up. Um, that it was mind the gap between the the latency issue, but it's also if you think you see a gap in the weather that's on the display, that gap may very well have disappeared by the time your airplane um, arrives up to it, and you may not have too many other options at that point. So, so this is I I hope that you've heard it, but we'll say it again and again. It really, really, really is important that when you have this kind of technology, uh, first of all, know how to use it, know what its limitations are, but this is technology that you use strategically, not tactically. Exactly. And there there was a comment in this article about the timestamp of the information. Yep. And that does not necessarily mean if you see a timestamp that was four minutes ago, that this is four minute data. Right. It could have been, that was the last time it received data Right. For the complete picture. So, yeah, it doesn't include the time that it took to actually assemble the graphic and to then transmit it to the airplane. So the timestamp gives you some idea, but uh, I would say that it's fair to take that with a very large grain of salt. And again, never try to use this tactically. Um, But it's it's absolutely wonderful to have this information. it's just that you have to, this is kind of goes back to our point. You need to make sure that you understand what to do with it. And make the right decisions. And make the right decisions on the basis she, of it. She winds the article up with a um, with a little uh, note here. It says, it's a dangerous gamble, especially when weather is involved. And in gambling terms, weather is the house. And just <laughs> as in the casino, the house always wins. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't want to ask her too much about how she knew that, but... Uh, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There we go. 
Okay. Um, um, moving to, on to the next one. This is fun. Is it Icicle? It is Icicle. All right. What's it about? So um, this is another one of those acronyms. This is one you don't have to worry too much about how to pronounce it because what you see is what you get. But it stands for in-cloud icing and large drop experiment. And in this, uh, this is another part of the what, what we were focusing on in this issue is some of the FA's weather research and how it's being translated into real world terms. But in this case, uh, terminal and national scale icing products, just as with turbulence, um, icing can be very, very hard to forecast, particularly some of the more dangerous kinds of it. So in this case, they took a Convair 580 twin engine airplane with uh, just bristling with special instruments mm-hmm. and flew deliberately into icing conditions um, to measure. And uh, please note that, and I made sure I put it on the slide, to enhance safety and allow for sampling. They operated over flat terrain. This was This was not carelessly done no of course very not. carefully no um, but they they covered a wide range of altitudes yes from did. as low as they could safely go up to the higher altitudes to look at look at icing and collected a lot of information that is um, then the people who who do this go crunch data and figure out what does it mean what do we do with it and the the goal as you see up there is to support development of better terminal as well as national icing products that would actually provide more information than we've been capable of offering today so and you know to kind of just bring a, a practical point about this um i think it was yesterday yesterday it was yesterday okay um flying um, into uh, the Southern California area, the controller came on and gave us um, an icing report from Mm -hmm. a previous aircraft. And we asked him, well, how old is that report? And he said, 15 minutes. Oh boy! So we thought, okay, as we went through that very same area, there was nothing. And it's just another point about showing that just like thunderstorms and weather and ceilings and visibility, it's all changing. And the icing report that you may get might be appropriate and valid for your situation, or there might be a no icing report and you find yourself in icing. So let me ask you this. Did you give him a, a no icing pirate? Oh, we did. Good. Gold we did. star. Yep. We, right. we said that we didn't encounter any icing, gave him the temperature and carried on. Great. But this is interesting because certainly there's for, for pilots and especially instrument pilots is probably nothing that's, um, you know, gets our attention. Maybe thunderstorms get our attention more, but icing certainly does. Well, I always think of icing. The uh, ice belongs in drinks, but not <laughs> on airplanes, uh, because this is this is a recipe for coming back to Mother Earth and not in a good way, because it decreases lift and increases the weight. And if you go back to private pilot ground mm-hmm. school about lift equals weight and thrust equals drag, if you want to maintain straight and level on accelerated flight. You, you don't have to do much math to realize that when one is decreasing and the other is increasing, this is not going to work out very well. And so, so this, this research is, I think, the culmination of it will be to give yep. access to a lot better tools to try to predict this. So, um, and thank goodness for people who are willing to go out and play in the ice because yeah. they're not one of them. Yeah, it's a bit like the hurricane hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good for them. It's fun to read about it, but I don't think I want to be aboard. No. Um, okay. Um, next one is 
um, basically about cameras. It is. Alaska omnipresence. Omnipresent. It's kind of fun because uh, I, I, I was saying to Paul and others earlier, I, uh, the last few days of my working life have been spent um, with a lot of video meetings where you are seeing people on screens and it's that gift of being and seeing elsewhere. So we're all in different places scattered across the country, but seeing each other's faces. Um, also getting some interesting views of people's work from home attire. It's all kind of fun. <laughs> um, anyway, this is about weather cameras. We we have had for a number of years weather cameras, a big network of them in Alaska. And this piece um, is about what the FAA is doing to expand that program. And is there anything in there that caught your eye? Well, I've never had the opportunity and privilege of flying in Alaska, but I've certainly known people who have. And I often hear stories about how quickly the weather can go from good to good to bad. Um, but I have had a fair amount of experience over the Rockies and in Colorado. And I used to tell people that the, the, the mountains make their own weather. Oh, that's a good way to put it. The mountains make their own weather. And those of you who are familiar with flying on the front range, um, within a five-mile span, it can be windy and gusty down to nothing, no wind and anything, just because of how quickly it changes. But I gather that the goal of this is to expand this into other states and use existing infrastructure to help support it. Well, it, is, it started off because you know, Alaska is um, rugged territory, uh, depends heavily on general aviation, but trying to have the kind of weather reporting station network that you have in the lower 48 has never been really an option. Uh, so we started this weather camera program, and you see now we have 230 in 178 sites. Um, various camera views, uh, current conditions, comparative clear day image, so you can see what it looks like when it's not obscured. Mm -hmm. um, and I suspect that could be pretty um compelling in some cases because you're looking at the clear day view of where the mountains are and then the six hour loop to show the trends so this has been an enormously successful program um, and it's allowed people this is why the the top the title omnipresence is kind of fun that it has allowed pilots to really see places um, and actually get pirates in a way that uh, sure. where we don't have either weather reporting stations or pilots going through. So you can, you get a sense of, of what's going on. So for a long time, I think the FAA has been interested in expanding the program, but there is expense and there's maintenance and there are all sorts of logistical issues, but we have come up with some ways to do that partly due to the fact that technology is better. We've got, um, more rugged, less expensive cameras that can do all sorts of really neat things. So now we're looking to do Hawaii, 23 possible sites, technical installation solutions. I'm um, sure some of those can be fairly complicated. But then the other thing that I think is very intriguing is that the agency has started to co collaborate with state and municipal governments. To use already existing. To use existing mm -hmm. camera networks, because we all know that, uh, that uh, municipalities and states do have camera networks. And if there are ways that we can integrate into that, and we've got some cooperative agreements either in progress or just uh, freshly done so Lots and lots of possibilities. So this is this is definitely something to keep an eye on. It's great information. So how's your weather knowledge? I think is the next one. 
Yeah, um, actually, yeah, this is um, uh, how, what's your, your weather know-how. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this is a little bit, uh, it, it goes through a framework that I have used for a number of years. One of my <laughs> colleagues wrote the piece, but I, I was, um, I think what we really need to, to do is consider not only the shelf life, but think about things in terms of those basic elements, temperature, wind, humidity, uh, turbulence, aircraft performance, all of those things. Th- this is a short piece that tends to tie together a lot of the concepts that we've used in the rest of the articles. Yeah, it's a, it's a good review. And um, it's it's something we have to deal with on every flight, even if the weather's good. I mean, that's data we need. Well, if the weather is good, it's data we need. I, I know that uh, you know one of the things that I always think of when the weather is good I look at the sky and I look and see how many empty tie downs there are on the ramp. <laughs> and that tells me that I need to look out for aluminum kind of weather yeah. uh, to make sure that there's, there's uh, no That's right. unauthorized swapping of paint and unbriefed formation and that sort of thing. So I think our next one is um, the typical article on um yeah, this and is from the heli- from the helicopter group. Vertical speed, vertically speaking, yes. And it's about um, staying safe and avoiding um, IMC, basically. Yeah, and helicopters <laughs> have the ability that th- this talks about a program that the Helicopter Association International has been promoting for a long time. They call it Land and Live, and that if there are hazards, that mm-hmm. what you do is put you you can put a helicopter down in a lot of places that say airplanes like you and I fly don't really have that option. So don't, don't try to power through it. Just put the, uh, put the helicopter in a safe place until the weather gets better. And then. And from the data, it looks like since this program has been um, in place, there has been a reduction. There has indeed been a reduction. The, uh, the person who until recently, unfortunately, uh, Matt Zaccaro, he passed away recently. He was the longtime uh, CEO of the Helicopter Association International, and he pioneered this program, actually. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of experience. He had both military and other uh, civil civilian helicopter flying experience, and he was very, very passionate about trying to do something to improve um, rotorcraft safety. And he came up with this program. Um, I I won't say it on a potentially family program, but mm-hmm. let's just say he had a more colorful title for it. And mm-hmm. uh, they have translated it into Land and Live, and it's mm-hmm. been going on for quite some time. So, And there's about eight little comments in here about um, the eight golden rules. I'll go through them quickly. Always obtain a forecast. Expect conditions to be worse than forecast. Check the actual conditions against the forecast. Identify alternative routes, always carry enough fuel, scan the sky and horizon for possible problems, check the weather, be prepared to divert. Those apply to fixed wing too. I was going to say, yeah. there's nothing special about no. helicopters. So those are good rules for everybody. That's so right. Even if you don't fly those, um, follow the same rules. Absolutely. Um, FAA faces an interesting gentleman with a lot of contributions to the to aviation safety. Yeah, Johnson. Um, he was he's the human factors lead, and he can he and his team contributed a great deal to this publication. We spent some time with them on the phone and in interviews and other things. And they let me tell you, they are truly passionate about what they do. Um, in this case, uh, he, this guy. 
he started flying uh, a long, long time ago, took several, took a lot of people, several jobs to pay for flying lessons. Mm-hmm. He thought he was going to be an airline pilot, but decided he was more interested in some other areas. So he, he flies, but now he does weather research. He's, he combines a lot of different things. And uh, he and his team are really key to improving weather information safety for all of us. So we were, we, we don't usually give people too many options. We, we essentially tell them you're going to be the FA face, answer these questions and mm-hmm. send a picture. And anyway, but he, he was, they, they were very cooperative. We well, really one, of the, one of the best lines in his article is with great technology comes great responsibility, which is what, what this has been about is to know how to use the technology. Absolutely true. Okay. Uh, next, we have um, looking at um, post-flight data mining. Data, yeah, yeah. Well, this is data and information again. And I, I uh, mentioned when we were chatting before the broadcast started. Originally, I use a quote in the beginning from Commander Data of Star Trek: Next Generation. Some people may be familiar with it. You should watch that one. I like the old ones. I know. Um, but I had this lovely picture of Commander Data looking very quizzical, and we weren't able to use it for copyright reasons, but but that's kind of where it came from. This is all about the fact that we have a lot of data, and that what we talk about is data, um, data has to be put into some context to become information that we can then analyze. Mm-hmm. And if we try to take it without the context, we're distorting its meaning. Its meaning. So... Um, another thing that I talk about in this piece is I, I've talked about it before. I was very, very, very affected years ago by Ra- uh, Robert Buck's weather flying book. And these three things that a pi- that weather can do, wind and turbulence, uh, which is really a pilot and an airplane issue, mm-hmm. uh, ceiling and visibility, which is more of a, of a pilot issue. And then the last one is affect aircraft performance, because when you have icing, density, altitude, convection, sure. that sort of thing. I always say that you could be super pilot. Uh, I mean, even if, if you don't have a super, pilot, if you don't have a super airplane, the airplane yeah, you you can't right. compensate for what the airplane can't do. So right. this is just all about a data driven world, but don't let data drive you into trouble. So it's a, it's a good advice. Yeah. So hopefully people will take that. Yeah, um, you've met the new administrator. And- yeah, we had a lot, lot of fun with that. Um, so what you're seeing on the screen there, uh, straight from Steve, FA employees are very familiar with that because one of the things that he does is a weekly internal, it's usually about three minutes. He calls it straight from Steve. He films it on his iPhone and it comes out to employees. And it's really thinking about um, the one that we got last week. Uh, some of you may have heard that the administrator has self-quarantined because of yes. possible exposure. So he he filmed the straight from Steve um, weekly um, comments to employees on his sofa. Huh. So there he was sitting there. Um, it was it was really fun to meet him. He's very much a people person, um, although he does not have a strong GA background. He's definitely interested, and he told us right away the story of of how enthralled he was by his first uh, GA flight experience way back when. Weren't we all? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time he was in the uh, at the academy and they didn't exactly give him a lot of extra time to go play with GA airplanes. So he's done a lot of different things. Uh, he came to us from uh, not only as a, he had been a pilot for many years for a major air carrier, but also in the management. So he's done a little bit of everything and, 
he's uh, he's he's one of the more uh, he's he's a very accessible person. You see him in the halls, uh, gets coffee, takes mm-hmm. metro. Not these days, but um, with mm-hmm. nobody's taking metro right now. But um, he he also said that he's something of a history buff. So being in Washington is a is a really great experience. Yeah. And hopefully the museums will open again soon, and he can we can all enjoy them. Well, he he's very. Um, engaged in, in what's going on in, in your organization. So that's a good thing. So it's fun. Good. Our next one is the uh, drone debrief about remote IDs. And the big statistic I see there is 1.5 million. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, this article, I'm, I'm, we, we wanted to make everybody aware. Um, there is a proposal. I can't remember if it just closed, but uh, it's the... Uh, it is the remote ID uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. I can tell you that we have received a lot of comments and that it will take time for the FA to go sure. through them and disposition them. So this was just a little bit about the, the rationale for um, some of the proposals. Okay. Um, January 1st, 2020 is come and gone. It and has come and gone. ADSB is um, either in your airplane or it's not. And this article is about what happens if it's not? Well, if it's not, or if it is not working, um, the FA did anticipate that there would be a need to allow some exceptions periodically, and so we have another one of these really fun acronyms. I, I you know, I don't know who comes up with some of these, but this was fun. Adapt ADSB deviation authorization preflight tool. So the article talks about where you can go, but also some of the basics of how you can um, you can request um, that you be allowed to fly in what's called rule airspace without the mm-hmm. appropriate equipment. But it is very important to note that, first of all, this is not meant to be a habit. If you haven't equipped and you're hoping to use this every time, that's not going to work. And second, you can ask, but the answer may be no, even if you follow all the rules, because the whole idea was we needed to allow for occasional exceptions, but this was not about um, allowing people to um, not equip and then just continue along as they were. And and Susan, on the the next page of that article kind of takes you through just a simple process about, about how to go through it. So if you're in that situation and you need to make a specific request, um, this this article will we kind of show you the roadmap on how to do that. Yep. And uh, telephone or while in flight. So, so this is another one of those things you also have to, it's, it, it's called a pre-flight tool for a reason. Mm-hmm. That um, if you make the request by calling on the phone or if you call them while you're flying around and say, oops, sorry, I don't have ADSB. Can I get through? The answer is definitely going to be no. All right. Our next one is nuts, bolts, electrons, and it's um, there for uh, the maintenance folks. And essentially, it's about recurrent training. And training is what we talk about. Um, We spend a lot of time talking about pilot training, but it's equally as important for the maintenance and and mechanics. And this article lists some of the resources that are available. And there are quite a few. Um, There is an AMT continuing education program. on safety.gov, there's a what we call the maintenance hanger. There are a number of maintenance and human factors courses that, because human factors, 
we're all human and those mm-hmm. are those are relevant to everybody. So these are not courses just about um, literally nuts and bolts, but also about the, the human factors side. So this the article provides some links to resources um, and just provides uh, you know, some tips on where you can go to get some of the recurrent training that might be needed. Uh, also makes another plug, as we've done on the pilot side, for type clubs, yeah. maintenance-related associations, and gosh, there are so many of them. Um, there are lots of different organizations that you can be part of, and I know that uh, the ones that I belong to are very valuable because not only do you get useful information, but you get to talk to people who speak your language sure, and are willing to do hanger flying. You bet. There's, there's always something to learn from those. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have two articles always on um, medical topics. And the, the next one is, is certainly timely and it shows that there's been a lot of progress. What to do if you're a pilot with, diabetes and it used to be you were mostly out of luck mm-hmm. but there's been a lot of progress and um, Mike Berry goes through some details about talking about some of those advances especially with the advent of real-time glucose monitoring which has made this more successful. Yeah this was uh, I, I learned a lot from um, looking over this one too insulin treated diabetes as you said that used to be a disqualifying condition and there wasn't too much way around it but now there is a protocol. Um, notice that there's no effect on basic med or sport privileges, mm-hmm. but uh, and there there's some information there. It's an option for class three, which you can continue to use that. But this is if you need a um, class one or two medical certificate. That what we've tried to do, even though Canada and the UK, um, some people complained that they were ahead of us. Mm-hmm. They had a protocol, but it was it, it was fairly restrictive in a lot of ways. And we're using this continuous glucose monitoring to allow for uh, some things that that are we, we can get we can get an issuance without some of the restrictions that previously existed. So I know that my colleagues are hoping that this would become a template for other IKO member states to to use. So. No, it's it's, it's, it, it is good stuff, and um, I, I've certainly have known some individuals who who were working through this, mm-hmm. and um, this seems like a step in the in a very positive direction. Indeed, the the next one is something that uh, perhaps we've all experienced in some form or fashion, which is spatial disorientation. Um, as a as an instrument pilot, we're we're taught that if there's some disagreement between, you know, what you feel and what you see, you can Always have spatial instruments, spatial disorientation. But, you know, I used to I used to get it in a simulator sometimes. Oh, wow. Um, I'd be <clears throat> sitting in the back of a simulator. And, of course, the problem with like level D simulators that are motion is that your eyes are seeing the visual, but your ears are not following. And uh, I won't say many times, but certainly... Yeah. I, Certainly, it's been a case where when I'm maybe taking notes, I look up and I think, oh, my gosh, I've got the lanes. And my solution to fixing it is to look at the instruments. There are the instruments. Yeah, this is this is about how um, the, the article talks about some accidents that occurred that were probably spatial disorientation. And in uh, VFR and IMC, mm-hmm. this is often an issue. So so this is uh, just some basic tips and reminders and also some resources. And I, And I think also that there are certain situations that are more of a setup for spatial disorientation than others. 
Um, one that comes to mind is um, reasonably low uh, ceiling, maybe 500 yep. to 1,000 feet. You're taking off, you're accelerating, and maybe flying a departure procedure, which gives you a turn. So you're climbing, you're accelerating, you're turning. You really need to be focused because that's, that's for me, a classic setup. And it, it again, it sort of gets into, if you see those conditions, treat it that as threat error management, and how am I going to mitigate this? And how are you going to mitigate? For sure. Well, we're, we're wrapping up. We're here. getting close. There's the um, ATIS, which is the sort of news roundup. Yeah, there are a couple of things in here. Uh, incursion avoidance videos, um, revised AC on ADSB. You notice the maintenance procedure cards. But I also wanted to mention the charter guidance because uh, the FAA is trying to address the illegal charters. And some of it is providing information to potential passengers about what to look for to know whether or not somebody is a legitimate charter operator. So safety, safety matters a lot. Well, and by coincidence, back to runway incursions, um, two of the airports mentioned there, I was just at this past week, Bedford, Mass, and uh, Teterboro, New Jersey. They have some gotchas that you need to pay attention um, before you start taxiing. And it's a great idea to pull your chart out and review where you're going. Yeah, and these days with your apps, you can even write the taxi route, uh, just take a highlighter and right. highlight it, which is one of the things I do. That's right. Uh, the role of honor is yeah. kind of a tribute to people who have made a we certain do. impact. Uh, once a year, we publish a list of those who have uh, qualified for and received the Wright Brothers Master Pilot Award, but also the Charles Taylor Master Mechanic Award. So we, we just consider that a roll up of uh, those who have really come to an achievement that many of us can only aspire to, I think. Well, I just happened to glance through the, the role of honor, and I noticed that my former colleague and friend from the FAA in the Chicago FISDO was listed as a recipient, Tom Kirsten. Tom and I worked together um, in my airline connection for 18 years. Long time. And I've known him and worked with him, and he well deserves this award, so... For him and all the others, congratulations. Yeah, it's just, it's our way of, of trying to recognize them publicly in addition to the ceremonies that they they benefited from earlier. So Sure. And the next part is uh, about feedback. Yeah. I know that you've, I saw that you had some feedback about a, an article that you had written and some others there as well. Yeah, uh, there's some more. Uh, there, we, we really enjoy getting feedback. We, we maintain a regular watch on the mailbox. Sometimes we respond to people directly. If it's appropriate, mm -hmm. we publish the letters. But these are two ways that you can easily reach us. And the next slide is the usual how to find us. Well, um, how do we find this? Because we hate to be lost. We hate to be lost uh, or temporary, even momentarily <laughs> unsure of our position. So yes. this is uh, the, the website, how you can find us. It says free download in these formats. I want to make a little announcement here. We're going to be suspending um, the EPUB and Mobi formats because we we monitor how many downloads we're getting. We're mm -hmm. finding that the PDF uh, gets us a lot, but also um, we're doing Adobe Spark links. So um, if you're looking for us, we still have lots of formats, but the individual article formats mm -hmm. are pretty easy. And the archived um, issues are available Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. 
So May and June, I see some things that make me think uh, about, communica- yeah, uh, about av- communication. Aviation communication is the theme. We're wrapping up that issue right now, and uh, we'll we'll set the date for our next broadcast once we have the the publication in hand. That's great. And just as a reminder, get wings credit, get the print edition, answer the questions, and uh, you know, stay safe in your training. All of those things, there's uh, how you can get to us, and you can also use Google to get to us. Um, so there we go. All right. Well, Susan, it's always been fun. Um, for our viewers out there, stay safe, be kind to each other. Stay and, healthy. And um, look for us next time.